Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Michael Tracos of Post Media joins me again. And a minor announcement, he'll be joining me more often as sort of a here-and-there co-host. And today would be the first edition of that. We talked to Jim Peck, the uh, head coach of the South Korean national team, uh, picked his brain about the process there uh, in the lead-up to the Olympics. Uh, Peck's been doing some good work, and uh, we got him on the phone um, and uh, yeah, there, so that's at the end of this episode. We're going to start, though, with... Don't uh, be alarmed, also, because oh, there is an alarm good. going off, and we all made it out okay. It was, <laughs> it was just a false one. The funny part is that we didn't even leave the room. Like, so <laughs> Not I, even gave it a thought, did What you? Mike's referring to, and you'll hear it later on in the episode, is the fire alarm decides to go off, or whatever alarm it was. I wasn't really listening, to be honest. And, uh, and that's never happened to me since I've been in this office, so it has to happen, of course, while we're recording... Um, and it just keeps going for a while. So hopefully it doesn't disrupt the audio too bad. Um, but if it does, it wasn't our fault. Never is. <laughs> but Never it, is. Any technical the, issues, blame it on the other guy. There you go. Um, so off the top here, we're going to talk about just one topic, and then we'll get to uh, Jim Peck. Um, Canadian teams and where they are in the standings and where they're going to be in the standings uh, as, as the season plays out. Um, with a focus, I guess, on the teams that aren't aren't doing so well. Uh, last season, five Canadian NHL teams make the playoffs. Year before that, zero. Um, and this year, Mike, I'm going to put you on the spot. Hmm. We're we're about a quarter way through the season. At the end of the season, how many are making the playoffs? Ooh, that's a tough one, John. Well, right now, I'm not worried about Toronto. I'm not worried about Winnipeg. I think both those teams are probably going to get a, a home ice advantage uh, through the first round and maybe more. Um, just the way that they're kind of trending. And then it gets tough. Um, like, I, I believe Calgary's going to make it. And I do believe that one of Ottawa or Montreal is going to make it. I don't know which one yet. So I'm going to say four teams, four to seven. Um, I don't think the Oilers are going to make it. I don't think the Canucks are going to make it. And like I said, I don't think one of Montreal or Ottawa is going to make it. So that, that's where I'm going. I'd say it's been a pretty weird season for Canadian teams in regards to their expectations preseason and where they're sitting in the standings now because even Vancouver, like let's talk about the rosy side, they're mm-hmm. exceeding expectations. Brock Besser has a lot to do with that. Um, and they've they've been able to string together a decent start to the season. So we're recording this on, on uh, Thursday morning. And uh, 11 wins, 10 losses, 4 overtime losses. Not a great record, but I expected them to be uh, further down the list on in the Western Conference. Right now, they are uh, one, two, three, fourth from the bottom. I thought they would be probably second from the bottom. 
Yeah, you know what? And I think if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, uh, I'd be less worried about the record and more concerned about uh, the roster. And when you look at that roster, you mentioned Brock Bezer, 20 years old, leading the team in scoring with 11 goals, 22 points in as many games, um, followed by Bo Horvat, who's 22 years old with 18 points, and then Sven Barchi, um, who's only 24 years old. So your top three scorers are all under the age of 25. That's a great sign when you're talking about a team that should be looking towards the future and a possible rebuild. So um, that's the main thing. Um, the Sedin era is probably over in Vancouver, and you're ushering in this next generation of um, hopeful stars in Besser Hovat. And whether it's Barchi or if you got uh, Oli Uolevi in the in junior or whoever it might be, but there are guys coming along, and I think that's the promising sign. Yeah, and they haven't exactly drafted these absolute, you know, surefire number one centers or complete studs on defense. Like, they've had to draft and develop. I don't think uh, that handful of players you mentioned, if any of them, uh, you know, were were super highly touted going to their draft. I mean, no. I know I know Bo Horvat, 2012 draft, if I remember correctly, he goes ninth overall after... Uh, they trade Corey Schneider, and that wasn't a super popular uh, trade, at least right at that point. Um, but he's turned into an excellent second center, and on a good team, like when they're good, and he's the number two center, I think that's uh, that's a good spot to be in. And totally. So he's developed, and then Besser, I think, has has really come into his own this season uh, in regards to how the hockey world viewed him beforehand. And have have really seen that this guy can put the puck in the net. He's a Calder uh, candidate, right? Yeah, now. is it him and Keller? Well, it's him, Keller. It's also um, Matt Barzell and, yeah, so and Nico I... Hishire as well. Like, it's an interesting race. It's not quite uh, what we saw last year, where it was really just a two man race, and then yeah. it ended up just being Matthews by, in my mind, by a long shot. But when you're looking at the rookies this year, um, there's a couple guys that I think at the beginning of the season we didn't even consider who have really come on strong and. Besser's one of them, and I think Matt Barzell, um, man, even, he, he, he's fun to watch. Even day-to-day, I forget that he's like a rookie because you're watching the highlights and you're like, this guy, yeah. his puck skills is skating. It seems like he just smoothly operates and is able to, you know, him and Jordan really have found hands. some great chemistry. So, anyway, so... So, Vancouver's in a different spot. Yeah. The next team I want to kind of focus on, sure, on which, it, is? which is the Edmonton Oilers, which... Man, oh man, um, they're further along, obviously, than Vancouver, and they are really blowing, in my mind, a huge, huge opportunity when you're considering that Connor McDavid is on the final year of his entry-level contract, that he's going to become the richest man in the NHL next season, and with that comes a lot of cap implications, and you have to look down to Chicago and Pittsburgh to understand what uh, Edmonton's going to go through, and I, I just wonder if they're kind of frittering around uh, – a wasted opportunity here because next year getting that depth is going to be really hard and to where they, see where they are in the standings is it's it's not surprising it's shocking in my well mind. a lot of people had them going to the cup final yeah i had and, them at and, least top four or final four yeah well that's the thing at, at, at the very least i think even the uh the mo their bit their biggest critics would have them in the playoffs you know competing for some some kind of long playoff run but at this point, them making the playoffs is almost a pipe dream. It's almost, you know, so many things have to go wrong for the teams ahead of them mm-hmm. for them to sneak in. And, and and it's kind of crazy because we're just past that that special point or that uh, that checkpoint of uh, of American Thanksgiving. 
Yeah. It's, it's still very early, but uh, history has shown us that if you're not in the playoffs by that point, it's oh. very difficult. Like, there's only a handful of teams that really reverse uh, the fortunes. Yeah, they have two, few, two less wins than the Chicago Blackhawks, who have the final wildcard spot. So... You're looking at a team that's only five points out of a playoff spot, and yet there's a lot of yeah. Teams. They have to jump like a handful. Of teams, right? <laughs> they have to leapfrog like something like six teams right now, and you know it's difficult because obviously Connor McDavid is still one of the talent, most talented players in the league, arguably the best player in the league, and yet it feels like there's just too much pressure on this guy. Um, if you're playing the Edmonton Oilers, you know that you're game planning for number 97, and that there's not a whole lot of depth beyond him and. You look at Toronto and what they were able to do this year um, in free agency, and they get a guy in Patrick Marlowe, and I think a lot of us were kind of scratching our heads going, wow, a team with this much depth on forward, um, that much offense, why are they getting the old man um, who's past his prime? And yet, you look at the Leafs right now, and if Matt, when Matthews goes down, there's a lot more pressure on guys like Nylander and Marner, but there really wasn't that much pressure because you still had Marlowe, and he was – Playing in the middle, I felt like he had a calming in influence on the team. And you also have guys like James Van Riemsdyk, Nazem Kadri, who are also a little longer in the tooth, who've been there and done that. And you look at Edmonton's roster, and they just don't have those kind of players. Like, they should have that in Milan Lucic, but he hasn't been producing like he should be. And it really is kind of disappointing because you've got the most talented player, again, in the league in McDavid, and yet you're not surrounding him with the quite um the veteran presence that you really need um that toronto has done and other teams have really done well i think just secondary scoring in general or um you know uh, top tier scoring that they they decide to trade away in in the taylor halls of the world and even jordan eberle for for ryan strome yeah a couple head scratching uh deals um and by the way uh with peter shirelli having a press conference the other day and saying it's been a death uh, by a thousand cuts. I don't know if I'm quoting that correctly, but some sort of paraphrase of that. Uh, you, you just see it in everyone's face and everyone's body language that they're in crisis mode in Edmonton. I, I guess what it comes down to is that they, they need to salvage the season at least in regards to you know the way they're playing and, uh, and just sort of finish strong because I don't know if, if they even can possibly climb this hill. So you you start sort of changing your thinking or changing the philosophy around the team and and try to get back on track and try to bring the positivity back as opposed to like you know kind of uh, being too hard on yourselves for what has happened in the first quarter. Yeah, it's going to be difficult because like we mentioned off the top there's a lot of cap implications when you're paying McDavid and Drysaitel basically the lion's share of the money and uh, I would really hate for Shirelli to come in and uh, blow things up uh, further by maybe trading a Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I don't think that's the answer. Um, I still think on paper this is a good team. And, you know, the silver lining is you're going to get Andre Sakara back uh, sometime in December, um, top four defensemen. So maybe that helps a little thing, uh, helps things on the back end. Maybe, yeah, it's going to be tough uh, for them to make the playoffs because for them to get in, um, you're looking at um, some really good teams have to go out. And I, I'm looking at the how the playoff, uh, um, I guess, implications kind of shape up right now. Um, <laughs> I don't see who's getting pushed out. Maybe Vegas, but um, <laughs> last time I checked, they're still they haven't come down to earth. Yeah, I don't I don't know how that's happening. You, you <laughs> we talk about the Oilers, uh, you know, being a complete one hundred and eighty of what of what we thought they would be. Vegas would be, you know, the opposite of that. In the Eastern Conference, Toronto is 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 doing its thing, uh, scoring a lot of goals. 
Um, they're plus 14 in goal differential right now. They're on a 7-2-1 and one, uh, stretch here in their last 10. But the other two Canadian teams in the Eastern Conference, Montreal and Ottawa, have had their struggles. Uh, both teams out of the playoff picture right now. But as you alluded to in the Western Conference, you're, I don't know, a five-game winning streak away from, from being in the wild card and potentially being um, in one of your top spots in your division. So have you given up on the Montreals and the Ottawas of the Eastern Conference? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, Montreal is trending up now. Uh, they get Carey Price back, and I think that's been a huge shot in the arm. But you look around that the rest of the roster, and they're still not scoring a lot of goals. So it's still kind of um, Carey Price has to save the day on a nightly basis. And, you know, we'll see what kind of happens with Montreal. I, uh, I almost write them off, and then I also um, look at them and say, you know what, they should be better than what they are. Uh, Ottawa's a different situation. I think ever since they traded Kyle Turris, uh, something left the room that really hasn't been replaced by Matt Duchesne. And whether it's a chemistry fit and maybe that sort of works its way out um, throughout the season or not, but um, it's, it's, it's clear that this isn't the team that started out the season so red hot. Um, and I just wonder if maybe losing not just Turris, but Mathod and a couple other guys in that room really kind of changed the chemistry and the dynamic uh, within the locker room. Well, I think they're they're crashing back to earth and this goes all the way back to last season where I think internally with the center's organization at least how they presented themselves publicly they thought very very highly of themselves they thought that their playoff run was was legit I thought it was and the the underlying numbers suggested that it was more of a fluke or more of a mirage a hot streak you know Eric Carlson playing out his mind Craig Anderson playing uh, excellent in that um and now yeah, he's been the real difference this year too. Yeah, like a sub nine hundred save percentage. He seems to go up and down. You look at his career, and it's just one good year followed by one sort of mediocre year. Yeah. So, all things considered, I, I'm not surprised that that they're in the the spot that they're in. Um, did I think that Matt Duchesne would have a, a greater impact on their team right away? I think so. I thought that the change of scenery would have helped them. And, uh, you know, he's very early in his, in his tenure in Ottawa, so I'm not giving up on him by any means. But um, it's, it's been a rough uh, go here, uh, seven straight losses, and, and they haven't looked good in many of them. And Duchesne, like, one power play goal, is that it? Like, no assists in nine games? Like, I know it's a small sample size, but, geez, you figure a guy was just <laughs> dying to get out of Colorado and really itching to kind of be on a team that – had a chance at doing something and okay you got your wish and do something now and i don't know why it hasn't worked he's getting shots on net but yeah that, that's a huge disappointment for me when you look at what kyle turris is doing in nashville and it's really for him it's been a seamless transition um he's producing i think even better than he did in ottawa so whatever's going on there isn't isn't right and uh, you know guy boucher has to find a way to get matt duchene going because you know, he, he traded the farm basically for this guy all right, Mike. Are you uh, are you ready to sign off here? Yeah, let's uh, let's sign off, and then we'll hear the the beeping of the alarm. So <laughs> again, don't be alarmed. It's we all we all survive. <laughs> yeah, here's Jim Pack. Jim Pack, director of hockey for the Korea Ice Hockey Association, the head coach of the South Korean national team uh, for a few years now, and also the first Korean-born hockey player to play in the NHL and win a Stanley Cup. Thanks for taking the time, Jim, uh, for coming on the podcast. 
And especially given uh, the time difference, it's about, what, 11 p.m. there? Yeah, it's 11.15. I appreciate you guys having me on, though. Thank you. Yeah, it's late there. It's early here. I'm not I'm not a morning guy, so I guess we're both sacrificing in a way. And uh, my colleague at Post Media, Michael Trakos, is, is here with us. So um, let, let's get into it. Um, so here we are. We're about 90 days from the Olympics. And... Uh, you, you you've had a long journey here, as I as I said, you've been you've been at the helm of of the South Korean program for a few years now, and and you've been building towards uh, this moment. What uh, what's the feeling like around the team, and and just I guess in the country in general, as as uh, as we get closer to the Olympics. You know, I I think a lot of emotions are are running through our team, our players, um, everybody that's supported this hockey team uh, thus far. There's uh, fear, of course, uh, excitement, and uh, some disbelief, belief. Uh, you know, it, the emotions are very high. Um, trying to find solutions to to play at a level which we've never played before, and uh, it, it's exciting. I, I I feel the energy. You know, we we started up practicing here again, um, and, and the energy has been fantastic. Hi, Jim. It's uh, Michael Trikos calling as well. Uh, can I go back uh, to April? Um, that shootout uh, victory against the Ukraine. Uh, how big of a moment was that for the country and for the the program right now? It, that was huge uh, to to wait to win in that manner to, for the last shot and to be promoted to the top division. And again, uh, saying uh, a level uh, division that we never, ever thought we could reach, um, and uh, they they worked extremely hard um, and, and earned their position to to be in that top sixteen next year in the World Championships. Was that a big deal? Kind of getting there on merit um, and kind of proving to the world that. Maybe you're not in the same class as a Canada or a U.S. or a Russia, but uh, that this this country still has some legitimacy in terms of the growth that you guys have made. Absolutely, and uh, you know that that shows you that uh, the IIHF made the uh, uh, good decision, uh, allowing the host team uh, participate, and uh, and again, it wasn't just a an easy, okay, you're going to be the host, uh, you got an automatic grant into the Olympics. We had to do a lot of preparation prior to that, um, organizing a plan and convincing that we would be in this position at this time um, to the IIHF. Um, so we had to make them believe that. And, uh, uh, you know, it, we've, uh, the country, the, the whole hockey community here has uh, done a great job in, in, in supporting that and helping us to, to earn that position next year. Yeah, was it, was it difficult, Jim, to, uh, I guess, keep your, your head on straight or, or keep uh, going towards the goal of the Olympics after you guys qualify for the World Championships? Because I, I, it's hard to understate uh, what big of an accomplishment that is for you guys because there's fewer than 3,000 total players in Korea uh, hockey players. So the fact that you guys are able to qualify for the top division uh, in terms of double IHF world championships is, is a massive feat alone. So after that, was there a bit of 
um, you know, coming down from that and then, you know, getting refocused for the Olympics, which has always been, uh, I guess, the main focus or, or the, the, as you explained to me when we spoke um, in the summer, the carrot at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. That I think this is a pleasant surprise. Uh, you know, we, we've always talked about, you know, being promoted. We need to get promoted into that top division to gain um, that international experience to gain uh, those type of games uh, with the other countries basically allowing us to, to play them um, to gain that respect uh, is, is very big for our development. But uh, again, our main goal was is uh, to be a part of the, the Olympics and to, to play in the Olympics and to, to have some success there. Um, so I, I guess if you look at the process we've been through, that was all part of the process that the plan, I, I guess, we had to, to in order for us to get to the Olympics and play well, we had to do well in the World Championship tournaments, and uh, uh, that was all part of the process. Uh, well, Jim, can I ask you about some of the players on the team? Uh, I think some of them, maybe some hockey fans would be familiar with, a guy like Alex Blunt, uh, um, had a cup of coffee, basically, with the Edmonton Oilers, a minor league player. Um but a lot of these guys were born in Canada, like I mentioned, Plant, uh, originally from Manitoba, Eric Regan from Whitby, Brian Young from Ontario, um, Michael Swift, another Ontario guy. You do have some Canadian kind of flavor on this team, and yet how do you kind of make sure that uh, uh, these guys aren't quote-unquote import players for you? Well, those guys have been in this country uh for a long time, you know, uh, one of the pioneers would probably be Brock Radunsky. He's, uh, he came over here probably eight years ago. Um, he was a top draft pick by Edmonton also. Uh, and, uh, uh, he made a career over here and, and he's, he's, uh, along with the other players have, uh, adapted to the culture, lived here most of the, uh, the year. For all those years, uh, not like a lot of other um, players that play for their own countries, they play in the NHL or the KHL. You know, they're away nine months out of the year out of the country. They play in Korea and represent Korea, and uh, they've adapted very well. Uh, the Korean players have adapted to them. Um, so, in my eyes, I see 25 Korean players that they're are proud to represent uh, the Korean flag. Yeah, and it, there's a ton of good stories on that team, and we're kind of seeing it in other nations too, or we will in the next couple of months because of uh, the NHL with, withdrawing from participation in the Olympics. On that topic, when you heard the news that you know it was officially not going to happen for NHL players, what was your feeling? Because I would imagine there's a bit of you know relief because it's like, okay, now we can be more competitive, but there's also... Uh, maybe a bit of disappointment because, you know, as much as you want to win hockey games, you also want to put on a good show for Koreans. And that involves showing off uh, the best that hockey can offer. So you lose that, right? So uh, am, am I am I reading that correctly where it's sort of bittersweet? It's like, okay, this is good, but also bad? You know, it, it's going to be tough with, with NHL players, without any uh, NHL players. Uh, any way you slice it, it's going to be a real competitive uh Olympics and uh, it's going to be tough enough as it is. Uh, but 
you know, I, I truly believe that the, in the Olympic spirit, that your country sends your their best best athlete to represent their sport. And uh, I was kind of disappointed in that decision of the NHL uh, for whatever reason it was. But uh, for me, it would have been exciting. I enjoy watching those players play and uh, to see them on the ice. Uh, I'll miss that for sure because they're exciting, electric, dynamic hockey players that uh, we won't be seeing here. But on the other hand, there's great hockey players in this world, and uh, you know, statistics of I think I believe in round numbers, 1.7 million players registered with the IIHF. So that shows you the amount of hockey players, the talent that uh, all these countries have. Uh, so. To me, it's, it's going to be so exciting. It's going to be very competitive, maybe probably even more so. And, uh, uh, and, and again, uh, you're at a world stage. You're playing in the Olympics. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know, Jim, if you can hear it, but apparently there's an alarm going off in the office. So uh, uh, not great for audio purposes, but, but we'll trek on here. Um, hopefully there's not a fire. I think we're all right. Someone will come get us. Um There's actually some sort of announcement right now. I think um, we're fine. I think we're okay, though. I, I think, think they're the, announcing that the gym pack is on the phone right yeah, now. Yeah, I, th- I think this is an announcement yeah. that everyone should come and, <laughs> I'm, and I'm listen to you. I'm the fire alarm there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Richard Park because he's another NHLer uh, of Korean descent that that is heavily involved in what's going on uh, with your program. He's one of your assistant coaches. Uh, what has he brought to the table? Because uh, you can't do this all alone. Absolutely. It, it takes a village to run this team and, and to develop these guys. Uh, Richard's my right-hand guy, and, and he, with his international experience, with his NHL experience, and what he's doing with the Wild now with development, uh, all of that's a huge factor. And uh, he's been a tremendous help. Uh, just just the way he can communicate uh, with the players, uh, teach them all the, his experiences that he's gone through, and, and that's a, that's a huge help for us, and especially me. And, and we have conversations all the time. He stretches me. I stretch him as a coach. And, and uh, uh, you know, we, we make decisions together and, and come up with a game plan. And, and so it, it, it's been a real good marriage, and I'm, gl- I'm glad uh, that uh, I was able to get him on board. Yeah, and how about your, your past as a coach? Uh, because you spent – eight years, uh, maybe even nine years uh, with Grand Rapids in the AHL, the uh, Red Wings affiliate there. You had three head coaches that you worked under, Greg Ireland, Kurt Frazier, Jeff Blashill. Who has really influenced you as a coach? And, and you know, who do you sort of uh, think about when, when you have those moments where maybe, uh, you know, you need to rally the troops or whatever? Who, who was sort of the big influence when you were in North America? All of them. All of the above. And, uh, um, you know, they've all been a great influence in my coaching career. Um, being a part of that Detroit Red Wing organization, um, we had a great relationship with the Red Wings down in the minors in Grand Rapids. So, you know, the communication uh, was very open with Mike Babcock and, and all of his, his assistants there with Tom McCollin. Uh, you know, and the list goes on with all the guys that were there. Uh, that you learn and, and 
watch what they do. So that's really helped my development over the years and, and the relationships I've built, uh, the close relationships I've built in Grand Rapids with, with uh, Blashill and, and Fraser and, and Ireland, allowing me actually to, to give me my start in pro hockey uh, coaching. So they're giving me that opportunity. And, and But, uh, you know, I take... I, I, uh, not only the coaches too um, that I coached with, but also the coaches that I had when I played, Bob Johnson, Sky Bowman, and, and then even talk about my my minor hockey coaches, uh, junior hockey coaches, and Paul Terrio. Um, and then when I was seven years old, I still pull all of that stuff that I remember from way back when. And uh, but I, I I think the important part is that you. you Grab all the good that you can from all these guys and then try to make it your own. And uh, I, I think uh, if you just want to copy uh, Jeff Blash or Mike Babcock, I, I don't think you can get that message across to your players if you don't believe in uh, what you're coaching, your personality. So, you know, everybody had an influence in my life, in my career, coaching career. And uh, I try to put that all together and, and coach the way uh, my personality fits. Now, now Jim, uh, you spoke about uh, the growth of the game in uh, South Korea, and I imagine the Olympics would have been a nice, uh, or had the NHL sent players to the Olympics, it would have been a really big shot in the arm in terms of increasing that growth. But just in even the last, I don't know, since you were a uh, named coach, what have you seen in terms of uh, that growth? And are, are we really at a disadvantage uh, based on what the NHL decided in terms of uh, what the potential growth might have been in that country? And um, are, are you hopeful that by Beijing, that um, had the if the NHL does decide to go there, that we might see uh, even further growth in, in Korea and um, in that part of the world? You know, being having that opportunity to host and, and to participate in the Olympics, that, that's a, a huge success already in our development, uh, giving, grabbing that attention. Uh, the media here has uh, uh, been real supportive, and uh, uh, the newspapers, online, uh, the interviews with players, the, the commercials, the media has done a great job here on trying to promote our team towards the Olympics. And, you know, for sure that's going to help us towards uh, uh Beijing and hopefully we'll qualify and, and go through that route and, and be very successful. But the, the more attention and the more success we have as a hockey team, I think that'll grab the attention of these young young kids here. And hopefully we can entice the, the natural young athlete um, to play hockey instead of going playing soccer or baseball or basketball or whatever other sport. Or I know the winter sport here is short track is huge. So, you know, hopefully with that success, we'll be able to, to gravitate those natural athletes and, and develop them into good hockey players. Now, Jim, uh, you guys are heading to Moscow soon. I know that there's uh, the Channel One Cup coming up. It's December, early December. Um, it's, it's really a heavyweight uh, tournament that you guys are involved with here with Canada, the Czech Republic, Finland, Sweden. Russia. Do you mind going through what your schedule is going to be uh, as a team in the lead up to the Olympics? Because other than 
that tournament. I'm not entirely sure what you guys are up to, uh, you know, aside from obviously training and, and preparing. Well, it's a, it's a difficult time because um, way back when, back in the 90s, uh, you know, Canada had a full-time national team that traveled around and played different national uh, teams from other countries. But they, that doesn't seem to be the case with the, the heavy scheduling now with the NHL, the KHL, with the, the Swedish League, with, with all those good leagues. It, it's tough to find games um, at that time in January because everybody's still playing in their in their regular teams in their season and they're battling for playoff spots also. So it's a difficult time to find games, uh, friendly games to gear up just because of the scheduling around the world. Um, but, you know, prior to the Olympics, we're hoping to uh, uh, play Russia uh, in an exhibition game in Slovenia and uh, Slovakia. But, the, you know, that everything's uh, to be announced again. But uh, those teams have kind of committed to us that they would, are willing to, to play us prior to the Olympics. So those will at least we'll have three of those games there. Um, and we're still looking for some uh, friendly matches to gear up before the, uh, the Olympics at the beginning of February also. But it, again, it, it is what it is. We can't control the other team's schedules, but uh, what we can control is our, our practice time. Uh, the Asian League, where the, the players play in here with uh, over on this side of the world, um, has shortened their schedule to, to help us uh, prepare for the Olympics. Now, you've said this in numerous interviews over the last year or two that you know, you guys aren't going to the Olympics, you know, preparing to lose in any way. You guys are, you want to win gold. You want to push Canada. You want to push the Czech Republic, Finland, whoever you end up facing. Um, but, and the one thing that, that you've really uh, tried to get across to people is that the way to beat those teams is to have structure, uh, to have a good game plan in place and to execute. Do you think your team is at the point right now that you're comfortable uh, putting them out there and, and that, you guys have the right systems in place, or is that still a work in progress as you, as the uh, Olympics approach? Well, sure, it's all been the process. Uh, we've been tweaking our systems as we move along, as every, uh, we move up divisions, as we move to higher level teams, uh, the caliber of play, the tempo. You know, so we're always tweaking and and trying to find a system that will help us be successful against uh, those high-level teams. And, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a process that hopefully everything will come together in the end at the Olympics. Now, what about your day-to-day? Because you're the head coach, so obviously you have those responsibilities, but there's been a recruiting aspect to your job. There's been a salesman aspect to your job. Um, you know, are you, are you touching all those different uh, areas of your job description daily, or are you mostly a coach? Do you mind going through sort of what what your job entails? Well, you know, there's there's when I first came over here, there was a lot of things to do. Um, uh, being the national team director, you're responsible for the under eighteen, the under twenty, uh, the men's team, the women's team. So you know, a lot was going on, and as we moved closer. Uh, towards the Olympics, my main focus has been just on on the men's side of it and uh, um, letting Sarah Murray take care of the women's side of things, and, and she's done a great job there. 
Uh, and, you know, we have conversations daily. We're here at our practice facility here together. So, you know, there's a lot of communication uh, with the women's program along with the men. And But, uh, you know, a little bit because my son plays over here now, so I kind of involved myself a little more with the, the under-12 um, hockey program, so the, the club teams down here. Um, so trying to do a little bit uh, more on that side of things. But again, you know, as we get closer, my main focus here is with the men's uh, men's team. Um, but also, you know, helping out wherever I can. Um, you know, our U20 team is going to uh, Great Britain to play in December. So we have to focus uh, a little bit on them and helping them develop and, and get prepared to go over there also. Now, just as a final topic, I've I've heard and I've read you you say this uh, in the past to to media that you know there's a difference between North American hockey, European hockey, and also Asian hockey uh, in regards to playing style. How would you describe um, you know a game in South Korea or a game in in the Asian leagues? Well, you know the Asian league is very competitive because the the teams there are are I believe equally matched. In the sense, any team can beat anyone at any given night. So it's very competitive if you go and watch that game in that league. Um, now, if, if you, you know, I haven't seen it, but, you know, it's a, it's a different game in the sense that the tempo is different, the skill level is different. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, as Mike Milbury once said, right, skate, pass, shoot, that's all you got to do, right? So, it's, it's that kind of thing. Uh, hockey's hockey, and uh, but it's just adapting to different. Gaining uh, uh, that experience is key for us to adapt to the different styles, the different uh, tempo, the speed of the game uh, as we move up. Awesome, Jim. Uh, I appreciate your time. Your your first Olympic Games on February fifteenth, so that's about ninety days from now. Does it does it seem uh, surreal? <laughs> you keep you keep mentioning how close it is. Uh, come on, guys, you're giving me so much pressure right now. I know, I know. So, but no, it, it's an exciting time, and uh, uh, it's it's preparing this team and, and watching them grow as hockey players, as a team, as a family. Uh, watching them grow as individuals, as a human being, um, and building these relationships uh, with these players. It's just been a fantastic experience for me, and uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change this for the world. Much appreciated. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thanks, I appreciate guys. it. I really-